Welcome officially to season two of the Connection Podcast. We are so happy you're here, and our first guest of this season is John Sperry of Springfield Fourth Ward. There are a few things I think you're really going to love in this episode. We started off talking about his experience planning the encampment for the young men this year and how it taught him to follow promptings and, and believe in the spirit. Then if you fast forward a bit, we do have a long debate about Star Wars versus Star Trek, and, and John is very clear on his opinion uh, as far as which is better or superior. I then want to point out that we do talk about how Donut saved his marriage around the hour and three minute mark, and to top things off around the hour and 23 minutes, we get the best answer to whether or not John Sperry is a Taylor Swift fan. Hope you all enjoy. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We are so excited to start season two. This is our official start. And what better way to begin than interviewing somebody from Fourth Ward, finally. We have John Sperry with us. Hello. I don't I don't know if I'd, I'm the right person to be the first one of season two and the first from Fourth Ward, but I'll take it. We'll just say, you know, we, we got the guest we deserve. <laughs> it's not the guest you wanted, but it's the guest you deserve. Oh, sweet. It, it can only go uphill from here. Right. Uh, we have Josh Crook. I'm back. Coming back. And then we have Tina Marchant with us. Hello. Okay. So, we, we so were you're just, Josh Crook. That's me. Okay. Remember me now? <laughs> I do. Yeah. The Josh Crook. <laughs> Infamous. So we were just talking that, you know, we've, we've been kind of in the same arena before it. I think that, you know, you and I, John, and, and you know, Tina, you've been around the area longer, but we haven't really gotten a chance to talk. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. How we usually start our podcast is hypothetically consider that you're joining a new board and you're asked to speak in sacrament and you know the deal you're you're introducing yourself to the new ward people you haven't met before and go okay uh i'm john sperry i my family moved here from roseburg and utah and, well lots of places in 2004 um we have my wife sarah and i have five children uh, we are both middle school teachers my wife and i um, our oldest is on a mission in Texas, in South Texas. Her name is Arwen. Eleanor is a senior this year. Jack will be a sophomore. Alice is a seventh grader. Mina is a fifth grader. And uh, yeah, you name it, we probably like it or have tried it at one point or another. What are you doing for work now? Um, I teach seventh grade language arts and social studies at Agnes Stewart Middle School. I'm trying... I'm trying to, when is this going to come out? When is this going to air? A mm, few days from now. Okay. This week, I'm hoping, to, I'm having an interview to be Dean of Students at Agnes Stewart Middle School. I hope that pans out, but we'll see. Cool, cool. So uh, let's let's dive in a little bit. So you're currently serving in the Young Men's Stake Presidency. Yes. Right? Yep. First counselor. First counselor. And so for those who don't know, which I, I think is a majority actually, who, who don't know the full kind of story there. You know, we we have our young men encampment mm -hmm. every year, and we did things, you did things a little differently this year, but the the feedback we got from the boys was it was a it was a totally different experience, and you know, not not to say that they didn't enjoy the year before, but this was different, right? And and a lot of them had a really positive uh, feel about it, including my son. Just walk us through the process of planning for this year and and 
kind of how that unraveled. Yeah. I wanted to take the theme of missionary work to another level. And so what I did was I tapped into something that I grew up with. When I grew up in Roseburg, um, the stake there, every summer I was a young man, we had our ironic priesthood camp and it was always missionary formatted. So every year we had a companion, we had districts, we had district meetings and all that stuff, um, despite the the subject of the of the camp. But this year I want to do something very similar, but I wanted it to focus on missionary work because I feel like there's kind of a push for missionary work. There's the biggest push for missionary work right now, it seems, than in a long time. And uh, I really felt inspired to do that. And so I told uh, Todd, uh, Cole, who is the state young men's president, I'm like, I'd like to take in Cam in if that's okay. And he's like, awesome, go for it. Because he did it last year. And I felt so bad for him because he was called into that position. And because Dan Walker was called into the bishopric of second ward. And, and he was just like hit with encampment, like right in the face. And so, and he did an awesome job for, you know, for as little time as he had, he did an awesome job. And so I was like, I wanted to take this one on. So I did that and it was probably emotionally the worst year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, when, you, when you received the prompting, if if I remember correctly, you felt during the last year's encampment yeah. that this was the way that things yeah. needed to be. I was sitting there, um, I was talking to President Fuller, and I was like, I'm like, Jeff, I want to I want to do an encampment. I want to do a missionary focused. And I had I had during a talk or during a fireside at last year's encampment, so two years ago, I had created a spreadsheet on my phone of how I wanted this camp to go. And I forwarded it to Jeff. I'm like, I want to do this. And I don't know how well he looked at it, but he's like, do it. <laughs> so there was talk of having a shortened encampment because of FSY and because of all the high adventure stuff and all. And I'm like, Jeff, I need at least three days. He's like, take it. It's like, okay. So, um, yeah. So the, the inspiration was like so sudden, so thorough that I was able to outline the basics of the whole thing and give that to the young men this year and say, what can you guys do with this? And they took it and they ran with, I mean, oh, the young men, oh gosh, the best group. So awesome. So awesome. Um, they took it and they made the most of it. So, but yeah, the inspiration was, it was like a jackhammer. What was the young men's role in planning everything this year? So I wanted them to be an active part. So basically I, I presented them with a skeleton of the whole the whole week. I'm like, you guys need to fill this in. What do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear from? You're going to make the phone calls. I hate making phone calls. <laughs> and so, but the, the awesome part was we spent our first planning meeting figuring out who our leaders were going to be. And so we decided on who the district leaders were. Your son was supposed to be one, but I you guys know. had a thing. So it was planned I, a year in advance. I understand. So I understand. <laughs> he was disappointed. But he would have been awesome. But the guys, we got it anyway. I mean, they're not second best to Andrew, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we so we we got mostly the um priests, the older priests, and we had to dip down into the, some of the younger priests because we had a couple of people couldn't make it. And uh they they were the district leaders. They were going to manage everything at camp with the boys. They made all the phone calls for all of the talks and all of the activities. Um Todd Cole made a few calls for different things, but other than that. They ran the whole thing, and I was just sort of like their supervisor. You mentioned that it was a tough year, so there there were some challenges. What 
what did you encounter as as you were kind of leading up to the uh, young men encampment? It was weird because two school years ago was my worst year teaching, like the worst group of kids I've ever had. And I just sort of blamed it on COVID. And then I volunteered to do this encampment and I'm like, I'm, I'm still feeling all this stress. And all of a sudden when it comes time to organize encampment, I'm feeling like you can't do this. I keep getting these thoughts. You can't do this. You're not prepared for this. You don't have the leadership qualities. You don't have the ability to pull this thing off, especially like all those guys you admired as a kid. You can never do as good a job as they did. And it was just like months of this. And so the anxiety leading up to our first meeting and our first meeting, I think, with the boys was February leading up to that meeting was just like, you're never going to do this. And so when I went into that meeting and like half the boys showed up that I invited, it was like, my mind is right. You know, the adversary is right in this case. I can't do this. And so up until, so we went, we first went to the Luke's property the Friday before camp. And as soon as I set foot on that property, you could feel it. Just this, sorry, I'm like Jeff Fuller. I cry at everything. Um, the spirit was so strong stepping onto that property. And Monty Luke told me later, he said that they had actually dedicated that property for that purpose. And and you could totally tell. And that was the first time. And, and it's kind of sad that it's the first time in the whole process where I felt like, oh, we might be able to do this, you know? And so, um, but it was just like all of this doubt, all of this stress, all of this anxiety and you could tell that there were forces that didn't want this to happen. Yeah. I mean, and and it was it was interesting too because we only had like 44 boys show up and we had like potentially like 60 to 80 boys who could have come. And so, I mean, it was working on everybody. Um finding reasons not to go or whatever, but we pulled it off and it was great. I I wanted to talk more about the challenges leading up to that because I I think that Tina and Josh, I, I think we all go through similar experiences where we're prompted to do something. And and sometimes it can feel like a big swing, you know, in our calling and our career or whatever. And I, I feel like the first thought that comes in your head is a prompting. And then seconds later is when Satan enters in and yeah. says, no, 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 you can't do that. This yeah. is stupid. And we think it's our own brain. <laughs> but um, what it, just what did you learn about the spirit? What did you learn that'll help you the next time you try to take on a big project or or do something like that? It's funny because this is like my pattern. Even on my mission, I had times where it's like I let the doubts win. You know, it's like I didn't doubt my doubts and I let the doubts win. Um, but every time it happens, I feel like I get stronger, more resistant to the adversary. As long as I try to keep myself worthy, as long as I try to keep myself focused, um, I feel like I do better, but I will definitely never forget this. Like, this is one of those stories that I'll probably tell for the rest of my life about just how, how much negative energy was coming at me, trying to get me to not do this. Like there were a couple of times where I just about bailed and just I was like, I wanted to call Todd. It was like one in the morning. I just want to go, Todd, I can't do this. You're going to have to help me out. But I'd get up in the morning, sun would be up, and I'd be like, oh, I can do this. You know? Were there any other points in the encampment where you just reflected, maybe at the time or later on, and you said, yep, this is why we did it? Oh, every single second. Like from, from the moment kids start showing, I asked the, the leaders, the district leaders, the boys to wear their shirts and ties to camp. To, for the first part of it. 
and nobody else. I'm like, I want everybody. And I'm like, they're never going to do it. They're, and, <laughs> and that morning, they all show up to set up in their shirts and ties. I was like, this is awesome. And from that moment on, from the first time I saw those boys show up, I was just like, I just kept giving thanks and just like, there's no way this could have happened without the spirit. Um, there's no way this could have happened without, you know, just everybody who was involved. And I reflected a lot during the week and I was going, going, going. I never sat down except to eat, <laughs> but I was just like, I was just like getting my steps in. That's for sure. Um, but I was just like watching everything as it happened and just reflecting on it. And it was such a powerful, positive experience that it almost made me forget how horrible the previous six months were. <laughs> it almost makes you think that sometimes those doubts can be evidence of the truth, truth. right? Like, yeah. because it was because you had so many doubts, it mm -hmm. was like the Lord needs this to happen. Yeah. You know, like I think that sometimes that happens um, to me at least. Like, I'll have a thought and I'll write it down and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to. Yeah. Like, but then if you take the time to think about, like, why am I having so many doubts? And lots of times that can be evidence in itself to be like, oh, God was speaking to me and I need to do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Satan's all the, working hard here. All the stories why in the scriptures so of hard? people experiencing <clears throat> trials that like almost kill them. Yeah. There's like, Oh, this isn't a faith-based story just for me. This was probably faith for them too. Yeah. Evidence that, yeah, for every good there's an, a bad. And if something's trying to stop it, that must mean the good is important. Yeah. yeah we're definitely getting into something really true and relevant. Uh, Josh, how do you handle doubt? Because I, I think it's something we all battle with. I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Try to forget. <laughs> um, every Reset. time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's same as him. Like it's. I mean, I get you know, doubt every two weeks when I have to teach. So, I mean, it's the same, same with me, yeah. the same thing. I, and the, I think the the big thing is when you're dealing with another group of people um, and, and you plan something and they help plan it. And then like when you said that you're like, I don't think any of them are going to wear any of their shirt or their suit and ties or anything. Um, the fact that they, that they did meant that I think they believed in themselves, you and the whole process. I think that's a big deal because Anytime I did anything, because I've done stuff similar to, mm, to yeah. that back home, and I never wanted to wear a suit and tie or anything, um, did anyways. And I don't think, until I think you told me that story, I don't think how much the person, the leader in charge appreciated that until just now. So I think I have some phone calls to make. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it felt like I'm like, these guys are probably following me off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we talk about that with our kids sometimes? Because, you know, there'll be an activity that they're not interested in because mm -hmm. it's just not up their alley, you know? Yeah. Um, but we encourage them to go because it's not always about what you're interested in. It's about those people that you're supporting. It's about the people that planned it and and showing your appreciation for their efforts too and, and just being that kind of support even when you don't have to be, right? And right. I think that's yeah. what – the kids feel when they when they realize how much work you've put into it, then they really feel that. And they're like, I want to be there for him. Like, even if they didn't want to show up in their suit and tie like mm -hmm. Josh, right? But yeah. you did it for that person. And I think that makes a big difference. But I did it because my dad told me to. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we Josh, all did. Josh, I was yeah. giving you credit. You got to take that credit when you get it, man. And I think, I think it's up leading up to it, you don't want to. And then as soon as you're in the midst of it, I think then... Then you realize. I, I think so. That's mm -hmm. that's the way it was. With and me. that's the bummer part. It's like, you're like, oh, I was supposed to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was right again. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about what you were saying is that kids don't... I'm trying to... How do you put this eloquently? 
they don't they don't BS. Like they don't mess yeah. around, right? Kids are totally honest with you. If they don't like something, they will tell you. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to do something, they won't do it. And they'll do it kicking and screaming if they're forced to. And so if you get kids to willingly do something, you know that they trust you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or they believe at least a little bit in what you're saying or what, you know, the mission of the the whole activity or whatever. And so yeah, it's like Kids will be honest with you. I've been teaching seventh grade for 16 years, and they're brutal. So, yeah. so sainthood is soon. <laughs> I feel like it's brutal. But I, I do think with kids, you know, sure, being charismatic and being fun, it, which honestly, like you are, John. Oh, but, stop. But, uh, <laughs> those are important. But I, I think, like you said, kids don't, they don't deal with the BS. They right. see right yeah. through it. Yes. I think another thing is somebody who's maybe more quiet myself, you know, kids can see too that you put in effort and that you care about them. And if you don't, they're going to see that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's a way that you can really get buy-in from them too, is is just showing that you care and they'll be able to feel that. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I So for me, my highlight is obviously, you know, President Fuller's son picking me over his dad for ultimate hey. frisbee. <laughs> you know, I was going to say that was my moment where I was like, this is why we're here. <laughs> this is what we practice for, people. <laughs> oh. All right, let's go around. Let's let's mix it up a bit. Yeah. Um, Tina, what did you want to dive into? Okay. I had a few things, but I think we need to start here because – I need to hear it now. Okay. So <laughs> John says that he prefers Star Trek to Star Wars. Yeah. We, we got to hear <laughs> how that plays out. Because I have to tell you, I am a big fan of both. And I even really like some of the new Star Trek revivals they've been yeah. doing. They're kind of fun to watch. So how does how does this go down in your family, John? Okay. So and let's clarify too. Old Star Trek, like original or new? All of it. All of it. All okay. of it. Okay. All of it all to all of it. He's a and Trekkie. The, I think yeah. the gap is getting wider, although... Picard and Discovery kind of narrowed the gap because I think both of those shows, Discovery started out as a huge disappointment. Picard almost redeemed itself in the last like four episodes of the series. Oh. Other than that, it was just trash writing. I was told not to I couldn't to watch get into that, that one. It was I, like trash. I tried the first episode and I couldn't get into that so one. Those kids would say it's very mid. It's uh, not even <laughs> mid. It's, it, so anyway, so my family, we were – we're from L.A., and we moved up to Oregon when I was probably about five. And I remember it was all Star Wars in, in California. And we were, like, before, like, while we were packing up moving, I remember my dad bought the Return of the Jedi Luke with the actually handheld lightsaber, mm. not the extendable lightsaber. Mm. And we lost the lightsaber in the move. And, I, and it was green, and then we were, oh. and we were, so that was, like, Everything was Star Wars. Then we moved to Oregon, and we're living with my grandparents for the first little bit while my dad gets a job and stuff, and I'd never had allergies before. So allergies are the reason I <laughs> love Star Trek, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, my eyes are swollen shut, and I'm like, I feel miserable, and everybody's outside playing, and it's just awful. I've got like this wet washcloth on my face, and I have to take Benadryl. And, and so while I was laying on the couch, my grandpa would come in, and... I don't know what time of day this was. This is during the summer, like early summer, I'm guessing. Um, but he would watch TV with me. 
just to keep me company. And Star Trek was always on. <laughs> it, it is always on. Right? <laughs> so it's like the original series. This is the original series. So this is like 1984, 85. So it was the original series on reruns, and they had a satellite. That was a big deal in 1984. Oh, oh yeah. So we'd watch Star Trek reruns, and I just fell in love with the Kirk, Spock, Star Trek series. Then, you know, we my dad gets a job, we move, and... I watched Star Trek. Oh, then the Star Trek movies start really becoming a thing. The Wrath of Khan had come out probably two years before that. And then um, there was the Search for Spock. And then The Voyage Home was every kid's favorite, the whale one. Mm -hmm. And so I loved the movies, obviously. Um, and my brothers, my bro my twin brother especially, was just so into Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. I knew as much about Star Wars as any other kid my age. But I just, for some reason, I always wanted to do, I would make little insignias. For, I'll talk about nerd. I'd yeah. make little Star Trek <laughs> insignia, brave. put it on my shirt. <laughs> Actually, my brother-in-law bought me one of the Next Generation communicator pins oh, hey. that I keep in my safe. It's yeah. awesome. Um, I'm just waiting for the tricorder to come out. Well, that's the no, thing. That, it's like, that, that I, eliminate beam me up, Scott. A little bit, but. I, I can't <laughs> afford the gear. It's all so expensive, <laughs> yeah, right? It's all collector now. Um, but anyway, so like I just fell in love with Star Trek and I became sort of a Trekkie. And, and there's also a part of me that if you know me for very long, you know that I resist whatever's cool. Mm, there and it so is. all <laughs> my friends, okay. all my family were all Star Wars. And so I would double down. Yeah. And so 1998 rolls around and the original trilogy of Star Wars is being released. Of course, I go see it. I'm not going to not go see it. But I think that was the same year that Star Trek Generations mm. happened, which was obviously not not a terribly great movie, but um, <laughs> but I would I doubled down on Star Trek, and I always did, and so that just sort of became my identity. So so now it's almost like out of rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, I know I know a lot about the lore. I know. Um, like when the new series came out, I'm like, they better get this right according to canon. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so when Discovery, at the end of season two of Star Trek Discovery, which the first season was so awful, yep. just it was awful, bad. Mm -hmm. the Enterprise shows up having been in deep space for five years and it's Christopher Pike who's the captain. I'm like, all right, we're talking pilot from the original series here. <laughs> and so I find out that this Pike, who's going to be the captain of the Discovery for season two, is it's post the original series pilot where he is he finds this planet where there's this girl who was mangled in a crash and these aliens allow her to see herself as being whole and the planet is being whole and give her a nice place to live. He experiences that in the pilot of the original series. So after that, he comes back. The Klingon War has just ended. He takes over the Discovery. And I'm like, okay, so far with canon, we're good. And then uh, Strange New Worlds started last year, and I think it's the best Star Trek show since. Ooh. Oh, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> I think it's better than Discovery, or not Discovery, um, Voyager. Mm. I like Voyager, but I think it's it goes original series, next generation, Strange New Worlds for me so yeah. far. Strange New Worlds wow. is awesome. It is pretty it's, good. It's good. because Christopher Pike is good. Like he, he's really good at yeah. that. He's so awesome. Yeah. He's got the best hair in the galaxy. <laughs> 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 he, the, like the thing about Strange New Worlds is this is what I was really upset about with Discovery and Picard. I'm like, are you telling me that we have 
decades of Star Trek writing, and these people can't write a Star Trek show. <laughs> and then Strange New Worlds proves that, oh, no, we know the formula to a T. We just didn't want to. Yeah, and so that made me mad. trying to write something new. Yes. I'm like, Discovery could have been any sci-fi show on HBO if you wanted it to. But yeah. I was upset at CBS. I think, I think when Strange New Worlds came out, that's after everybody... I, I feel like definitely when they were writing that, they were looking at all the other shows and movies out there just like tanking. Yeah, if you like, look at Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Well, maybe we should to probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's rewrite some of this. Because yep. when, set, when be honest, when 7, 8, and 9, especially episode 8 for Star mm -hmm. Wars came out, I that's when I started going to Star Trek. I was like, I got to find something else that's better. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I got to go back and start looking. That's when I started getting all the stuff. But yeah. Those yeah, Star Wars movies, man. Uh, so here's the writer in me. The Star Wars movies made me so mad i was just like you <laughs> gotta be kidding there, there's you guys are you familiar with the movie galaxy quest oh absolutely. yeah so there's galaxy the line quest. in there was a great where um uh what's his face the guy who was the extra anyway he's he's the only guy who knows about what happened on the show in galaxy quest like he actually watched the show and at, <laughs> yeah. at some point the bad guys are presenting a very characteristic event in the show and he goes did you guys even watch the show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's how i felt about star wars i was like did we even understand who Luke and Han were at uh, the end of Jedi? Definitely not. So we're just going to go, okay, Luke, talk about letting your doubts get to you. That's basically what they wrote was that Luke let all of his doubts, you know, sort of intrude. Which is not canon, by the way. No! That's where they messed up. <laughs> Luke was the man. Yeah. And then Han Solo, there's no way the new Han Solo at the end of Jedi would have abandoned everybody. Nope. Yeah. Come That's on. Bogus. Gosh, just those two elements. Anyway, I'm not going to get started on Star Wars. <laughs> we could be Star here a lot. We could be here all day. Yeah, Josh just answered my question because I I was going to say, is this a gut punch right now to Josh? But it sounds like you guys are a little on the same. I think like, we're on the same page right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm not against Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I appreciate Star Wars. But if you ask me which convention would you go to, it'd be Star Trek. But it'd probably be like barely. <laughs> at this point either way you're going to a convention I'm going to a convention I've never been to a convention but I want to go <laughs> well, I don't know if you feel so with, with Star Trek and Star Wars I've always felt Star Trek is the more like reasonable realistic yeah. scientific expectation and the Star Wars is the more like this is my fantasy exactly yeah, and yeah. that's I, I watched both of them for two separate yep. reasons I, I think same? the same thing it's like science fiction versus science fantasy that's yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. what it is yep um, okay good. yep it's, it's because Star Wars has magic Star Wars has swords star wars yeah. is is fantasy what's the character development i honestly i think the character development in star trek like they mm. they're a little more nuanced and fleshed out yeah personal yeah. opinion but. and that's because they they view each character as following his or her path in the federation or in starfleet whereas in star wars it's like you have to choose right or wrong and you have to do exactly what's expected of you well good point and as soon as you break away from that it's kind of like members of the church it's like if a member of the church doesn't fit what you think they should fit what you know it's like mm -hmm. you look at their facebook pictures and stuff and you're just like well i guess he's not a real member of the church yeah. you know, <laughs> a, and it's like if star wars kind of does that and and this is the problem with star wars is that writers can't be free and if they are free with the characters you ruin the movies yep. or do you ruin the expectation. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I could go on forever on theme and stuff. <laughs> Who but... has the better spaceships? Better looking Star yeah, Wars. Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Realistically, yeah, it's it's Star Trek. They Theirs have always looked kind of funny. I, I like the nostalgia that they've kept with Star Trek because it looks like some of the older 
older space yeah. stuff, like yeah. you know, with the strings and the and some of the other stuff. And Star but, Trek looks like something you would actually want to live in. Whereas exactly. Star Wars is like that is a really inconvenient way to do that. <laughs> right. well, yeah, every time I'm yeah. like, man, there's no padding in those seats. Yes, like, exactly. Oh. But yeah. Star Star Trek always reminds me of uh, what's the what's the movie Wally. Oh, they yeah. remind me of Wally, Wally kind totally. of yeah with it's with cruise ships yeah well reference. like the next generation Enterprise I'm like if this isn't a cruise ship I don't know what is <laughs> yeah right and it's yeah. funny because after that they went in all the Star Trek Next Generation movies they went dark and very metallic mm-hmm. and no carpet and then there's a joke at the end of Picard where he goes you know what I miss the most and they're all being super sentimental when they get on the the bridge of the Enterprise D mm-hmm. he's like what I miss the most he's like, the carpet the carpet I was like, <laughs> <laughs> there it is that's funny. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad we went that direction for a bit. <laughs> that's probably more than you <laughs> ever wanted to time. talk about Star Trek. Um, yeah, we're, we <laughs> nerd out every once in a while. We Well, when you and I had another one where we just talked about Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings for 20 or 30 minutes. That was so. one of my biggest questions. Oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings is, anyways, yeah, so good. Anyway, yeah, we're, Very we're getting into the upper yeah. echelon. This yeah. is like, let's <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. Yeah. We're getting high fantasy nerd yeah. now. Uh, Josh, what, what else do you want to talk about? Um. Just because Keister and I are big fans of Nathan Fillion, you said the story Oops. wasn't cool. I just, I just want to know, how, like, where do, where, how, how did that come about? Because I, I just, love all of this. Stuff. Yeah, and first of all, like, let's intro who Nathan Fillion is for the non-initiated. Yeah, so Nathan <laughs> Fillion um, is a Canadian American actor who, uh, the first time I ever saw him. I probably can't say that. It was in a rated R movie. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was the wrong Private Ryan. And he's, yeah. anyway, if you've ever seen it. Um, that was the first time I ever saw him. But my big start with him was Firefly, I think, which is probably the I thing that everybody Firefly is so That was good. such an underrated show. It's, it was yeah. super underrated. Firefly is the best. I've watched yeah. that series like two or three times through. Yep, yeah, sure. I just yeah. started it again yesterday, just to like, because we anyway. Anyway, so he's he's done his biggest TV series to date is Castle, yep, um, which was fantastic. My wife and I and the kids are making our way through Castle again. He's in the Rookie right now, which Sarah loves the Rookie. She lo- and I'm like, I'm like, there isn't two characters in the Rookie that couldn't be replaced by Ryan and Esposito from Castle. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. I, 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 there's like one other character that I don't really even like Nathan Fillion's character that much in The Rookie because he's too much of a Boy Scout and they're trying to write him too perfect. Mm-hmm. Too perfect. Whereas in Castle, the he was supposed to be a scoundrel. He was mm-hmm. Han Solo, right? Yeah. He was like, um, and so and so Beckett is actually the one in Castle where I'm like, that's flawed writing. <laughs> they, they, they're trying to keep her too many things. They did. Um, I didn't really like her yeah. from Castle. But. So, um, but yeah, so he's that actor. Um, he's also done lots of voices in multiple cartoons, TV shows, and video games. He's and he's awesome. in the new uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yes. Oh, I when oh, when I watched I that the that. other day, I was I was so excited. And I didn't like the rest of the movie. The movie was okay, but when I saw him, I was like, okay, I'll watch the rest of the movie. It's like this 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 one segment was right. awesome. It was so good. I haven't seen it. I've just seen those clips because yeah. I follow him yeah. on in social media. But the way we met him was it was probably I was in grad school and I had a friend named Chadwick who was going through the grad school program. Chadwick. Wow. Yeah. That's I a met, good name. Not I know you're thinking of Chadwick Bozeman and some <laughs> super cool black guy. Chadwick was more like me. <laughs> Rotund, very pale. Um, but Chadwick and I were nerds. Chadwick actually introduced me to Firefly. Um, and he introduced it to me. See, Firefly was when? 2000? I think it was early 2001, two. Yeah. yeah. So Chadwick and I, he introduced me to Firefly. And then we live illegally downloaded 
Battlestar Galactica together. So we were nerds. We were like space nerds. Anyway, so he we were going through grad school, and we heard from our neighbor that um, oh, we our neighbor knew that I liked Nathan Fillion, Sarah liked Nathan Fillion, but she heard that Nathan Fillion was going to be at Arkhamoto, and Arkhamoto is an electric vehicle company here yeah. in Eugene. Mm-hmm. And because somehow Nathan Fillion has a connection. So Nathan Fillion was shooting Castle at the time. And he and John Huertas came up from L.A. to Eugene to do this unveiling of the newest prototype of this Arkhamoto vehicle. And we were told that it was an open to the public party. So like where? So we found the place. It was like 6th Street in Eugene somewhere. Just like a warehouse. And it's super dark, loud music playing. All the cars or all the vehicles are out. They're not cars. They're like more like bikes. But yeah. um, And so we're like standing there. We have no idea who any of these people are. We don't fit in here. We're just there for Nathan Fillion. And then there's this like big curtain. And the curtain sort of blows. And I see him. And I'm like, oh, it's true. <laughs> he is here. So we had heard about this. We were driving. So like Sarah was pregnant with Jack, I think, at the time. Yeah, she was pregnant with Jack. So Sarah's like eight months pregnant Ugh. it's summer or whenever it was um it's the best time to be pregnant right <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're we're just not <laughs> feeling we're not feeling social we're not dressed for the occasion so he comes out and we're just like geeking out and then there's like john huertas who plays um esposito in castle came mm-hmm. with him and uh so we get in line for the picture and i took a picture with them and chadwick on his phone and this is like the early days of smartphones so they suck for smartphones. (laughs) And so Chadwick is like, I give my phone to him for, and so he's like shaking and it's in the dark. And it's, so the picture of me and Sarah and Nathan Fillion and, and John Huertas is really blurry. So I went home, grabbed my castle season one and my firefly and changed my clothes and grabbed my, my DSLR and went back. Smart. And so, so here's the cool part. We went back and we he was talking to people. So we cornered him and we're like, hey, can you sign our so he signed my Firefly and my castle season one? And he talked to us for like 10 minutes. Awesome. And he, he talked to us about sh- shooting Firefly and how his favorite days shooting were when they had horses. He's like, anytime they were on horses, and he would love to just take the horse. And <laughs> this is where I'm just like, are you just like BSing us right now, <laughs> but he seemed like a super genuine guy. He would just take the horse out as far away from the production as he could and still be visible. And he would just be in the desert and he loved it. And that uh, is awesome. So we just talked to him for like 10 minutes and he's we're like this. He's like, yeah, he's six, foot tall, like yeah. six foot two or four or something. He's so we're just like, <laughs> these two stupid 20 something guys. But that's how we met Nathan Fillion. That is super. So you have signed. Yeah. So my Firefly, they're in my safe. I haven't watched them since. What's your combination? (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) And the crappy part is, is they're just like, they're nothing special. They're just like, I bought them at Best Buy, like plastic cases. They're not like the the box set type edition. Priceless now though. Really still, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So he, I think he's like. To John, um, and he says, "Stay shiny," which yeah. is, is <laughs> that's nice. So I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I've heard, I've heard he's one of the cooler celebrities. When you meet him, he's okay to just like talk. Yeah, to him. he was he's like, like totally awesome. chill. Yeah, I loved cool. it. And they say never meet your celebrity heroes, or but that one was. I, I was glad that one panned out. I, I feel like he's a candidate for King of the Nerds, honestly, because he, he's, he's up there. I mean, Firefly, 
and all the video game stuff. Mm-hmm. Halo. Halo. He's in Rick and Morty a couple times. Yeah. Plus, yeah. He, he seems, like you said, genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he's he's about it and he understands the lore and why people care about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the shows that he does. And I also feel like he's immortal. I don't feel like he's changed. He doesn't age much. No. no. It's like he'll get no. a little fatter or a little skinnier, but he basically stays the same. When I saw him in uh, in The Rookie, I was like, wait, is this an old show? Yeah. What no way, no way this guy's <laughs> in his younger. 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I think I think uh, you have to throw Alan Tudyk in there too. Mm. Alan Tudyk plays Wash in Firefly, and he's he does like half of the voices in um, Pixar movies. Like, he's, oh, you're right, he does. He's, doesn't he's he? so awesome. Oh, yeah, but to, yeah. they're like best friends too. King of the Nerds would be like Henry Cavill too. Is there for me? Like, was that was kind of surprising to me. He's good looking yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. How did we get him? <laughs> he's our king. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Henry Cavill in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, yep. wow. He plays out yep. there. Mm-hmm. That's good. It, that's kid appropriate, right? No? No. I watch it with my big kids. I watch it with yes. seventh graders. 13-year-old. P- yeah. 13. It's, it's, there's something graphic in it. It's very, It's got a couple of suggestive scenes, but. Well, it's God. The Count of Monte Cristo. I mean, it's, you know, it's a story about revenge and murder. So, yeah, older kids. <laughs> it's awesome. I love but that movie. a good movie. lesson in the end. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite it books. Wasn't worth it. My kids, not Josh's kids. All right. No, that's good. Uh, let's go back to Tina. Okay. Let's turn a corner from the nerd corner. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to hear about the bizarre circumstances related to meeting your wife. Oh, yes. yeah. This is crazy. you said bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's, that it's bizarre. You're probably thinking like yeah. the movie Big, bizarre, but like it's not <laughs> that weird. What's weird is so we both – Moved to Roseburg. I moved to Roseburg when I was about five. She moved to Roseburg when she was about seven. So she's a year younger than me. So there's like a year gap in there. Both members of the church. Roseburg is a small town, one high school, two junior highs at the time, and like six or seven elementary schools. Sarah and I both went to the same elementary school. She's a year behind me the whole time. Like uh, from second grade for me and second or third grade for her. We, no, first grade, whatever. We both go to the same elementary school. Then we both go to the same junior high. We're both in the same stake. We're in different wards. We have no less than 30 common friends. We never talked once, ever, <laughs> before so my mission. Crazy. Ever. Like if we did, it was an accident, or like I bumped into her. Like we would, we, I, we would, we were talked, and I found out in high school we were probably at the same movie nights at the same person's house. Uh-huh. With Multiple you know, there times. were like thirty people there. <laughs> uh, we were at the same youth stake youth activities. We were everything together. It's like my high school girlfriend went was a non member, but she went to girls camp, and Sarah knew her. Sarah knew was friends with my high school girlfriend. I Sarah's best friend, one of her best friends. Um, was a good friend of mine, and I went on a date with her best friend once. I mean, it's like, it is absolutely insane. I go on my mission. I come home. Thursday after I get home, I go to institute, and I'm sitting in the desk. And our institute teacher had all these beanbag chairs on the back wall. Everybody's on the beanbags except for me because I'm the return missionary. I'm like, and so Sarah walks <laughs> in. too close. This moment, I, when we get to the eternities and they're like, here's the film of your life, I want a copy of this moment. Oh, she man. walked in with her friend, and it was just like the shaft of light, the angels <laughs> singing. She was so 
hot. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, is that Sarah Sharp? Have I just been on my mission too long? But she had this like little pixie haircut and she just, she danced her whole life. So when she walked, still today, she sort of like struts in. And a lot of people think she's really cocky because she just has this posture of a dancer. I don't know, but I, maybe it's faded. Having children kind of knocks that out of you. But um, <laughs> but she just like sort of strutted in. And the thing is, I grew up knowing who her family was, and we were opposite sides of the tracks. She lived in the Hughcrest area, which is like I don't know, Thurston Hills or, or whatever. Mm. And I was, I was from Garden Valley. We were out in the country. And uh, my dad was a mechanic. Her dad was a physician. And so I, she was just out of my league. So for the first couple of months after my mission, I just sort of stuck to my side of the tracks with dating. <laughs> I would ask all these girls, well, we're at a, a YSA, um, wait, yeah, Young Seagull, yeah, Young Seagull Tonic too. I thought I had my acronym wrong. Um, we're at a YSA activity. I show up late and it's sand volleyball. She's sitting out because she just hurt her ankle. And so we're the only two at this picnic table. And she asked me why I've never asked her out because she saw me asking every other girl out. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, you want to go out? That's bold. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, so I took her to see a movie that I had no idea would terrify her. She hates claymation. Absolutely. I do hates too. It. That is a horrible style. So I took her to see Chicken <laughs> Run. Chicken Run? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know what you did on a date. You go to a movie, you go to dinner or something. Yeah. So we did that, and uh, then I asked her to, I said, hey, my band is playing um, at this Battle of the Bands at the Wildlife Safari. You want to come? And she's uh, like, well, I'm going I'm going with Joel. He's another good friend of mine <laughs> from another ward. He had just come home off his mission, too. Uh, she's like, I'm going with Joel to his ward barbecue, but I can come afterwards. So I'm like, sure. So Joel brings her to the Battle of the Bands, and I'm glad because I wanted Joel to see it, too, but... But technically, to her, their date was over, but not to him. <laughs> so we play the Battle of the Bands. We kick butt. We win the Battle of the Bands. Um, I think there were like five bands. <laughs> we win. And as to celebrate, the entire um, young single adult group wants to go to see a movie. So I'm like, hey, you want to go to the movie with me? So she's like, yeah. So she goes with me to the movie. Joel shows up and sits next to her on one side. I'm with her on the other oh, side. I'm like, Joel, bruh, you had your chance. And I love Joel. Joel was Joel was one of my favorite dudes. He actually recently passed away. He had cancer. And I felt really bad about that, that I took his date. But that's how I don't feel that bad. That's how it started. So yeah, we didn't we should have known each other. We should have been in the same group. Maybe that was a long way to that story, but yeah, it wasn't until after my mission. And I'm convinced that if we had – the Lord was doing everything he possibly could to keep us away from each other in high school because if we had known each other in high school, we wouldn't ask, be able to stand each the, okay, other. Okay, I was going to ask, was like, is that a good thing? I was, good? I was in band. She was in choir. And I know that sounds like it's the same side of the coin. It's not. No. Not even close. <laughs> no, I think that I would have been so annoying to her and she would have been so snooty to me. Like yep. that's – Yeah. <laughs> So I think the Lord was trying to do something there. Well, awesome. <laughs> that's good. Anyway, so it's kind of weird. That's cool. That, that's crazy how things like that happen. I've, you know, that's that's how the bromance with me and Jordan Moon started. Oh, really? Yeah, years and years of overlap. Just uh -huh. like we went to BYU Idaho and had the same major the same year. I was friends with his wife, but we never met until 15 years later. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. But, you know, small world, man. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's meant to be.
It's funny. I have a friend at work. He's 11 years older than me. And on April 19th, 1979, he was in San Diego from Springfield to watch a Padres game. And I only know this because on his wall, he has a bunch of these old baseball tickets. And I saw the date, April 19th, 1979. And I was born April 18th, 1979. So he had to drive past the hospital where I was born. <laughs> and so we, we have that little connection. So on the day, the day I was born, he probably drove past the hospital. Because the hospital was like right on the <laughs> should freeway. Should have stopped in. He should have. Been. Right. Yeah. What the heck, buddy? Know. Didn't you know? <laughs> let's uh, oh, let's kick it to Josh for a bit. Yeah, I want to hear all all about the music. Stuff. Yeah. I so I I don't tell people this often. I used to I, I played piano and I was taught piano as a kid and I rebelled and I hated it for a long time. But now I wish I would have stuck with it. And so mm -hmm. I love music. I suck at it. But I like it enough to hear about it from other people. It's never too late, man. It's never too late. <laughs> I have a keyboard still. I play it every once Keep, in a while. Do it. It's never but. too late to start at zero. I picked up drums in fifth grade. I was in my first ever rock band. Well, I was, I guess you could say junior high. My first ever rock band with some guys. But they chose another guy who looked more like a rocker oh. over me. Um, it was like a Nirvana cover band in like 1991, 92. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and from there, I was like, I got the bug. I just wanted to perform. So I was a drummer. Um, sophomore year, the the biggest band in the high school. They were called Cerny. They were named after our physics teacher. They were a bunch. They were <laughs> a couple of seniors. They asked me. Uh, we had a three year high school, so I was a sophomore. Mm -hmm. and they, they saw me playing at a pep or a pep band, a basketball game in the pep band. And like, we want that dude. So they fired a good friend of mine who hadn't even played a show with him. And they got me. So we played, um, like one, my first ever real performance was the Eugene Celebration. We're talking like 90s Eugene Celebration. Mm. So it was like thousands of people filling the streets. And we're on this like 10 foot high stage. And we walk up there and I'm just like, <laughs> and the the bass player, he was so awesome. It was Richie. He just looked at me. He's like, just look at me. He's like, just watch me. Listen to the, and so it was that band that taught me, listen to the bass player, mm. watch the bass player, because you're not going to see anything the lead is doing. Yeah. And so, so from then on, I'm like rhythm section, baby, me and the bass player. So every band I've been in since, I really got, made good friends with the bass player. In fact, the last three bands I've been in, the bass player is still my big, my closest friend of all those bands, probably. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so, and I still play whenever I can. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, every once in a while, I'll play in a rockabilly band, these guys called um, 56 Pontiac. Ooh, nice. So I'm like their third drummer. But we'll play shows every once in a while. Since COVID kind of shut things down. But. Yeah. So can you... Can, did you learn by reading or listening? Can you do both? Both. Um, so as far as like, I, I went through school. I learned how to read music. I can mm -hmm. read music. Um, I can write music. I did, I did, Sarah and I were both actually music majors for the first few years of college. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I play mostly by ear, I'd say. So okay. when I started learning guitar during COVID, I saw two years ago, I picked up the guitar. I'm like, no. I mean, I have really short, fat fingers. And so I, I ruled out the guitar until Sarah bought me a guitar. So Sarah buys me this guitar and she's like, you're going to learn how to play. You've always wanted to play. So I'm like, all right, well, she bought it for me. Oh, man. I've given up because my fingers are too short, too. Yeah. yeah that's so hard. So that's apparently that's not a thing. I, I struggle with acoustic, but okay. electric, I mean, already, uh, I can kind of wail. Like, uh. And so 
my musical background really helped me with learning how to play the guitar. You don't need to understand music, but I already knew like circle of fifths and I I familiarized myself with the pentatonic scales. And pentatonic scales are the key to soloing, Mm -hmm. probably on any instrument, but Mm -hmm. the guitar is like almost designed for it. Yeah. Um, So if you listen to like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jimi Hendrix or John Mayer, these guys are amazing at pentatonic solos. At least that's how they start. That's how most people start. Um, but those guys are... They're, I'll never be, A, that intelligent. <laughs> they're <laughs> on a different level. that proficient because yeah. they started young. But um, but yeah, it's never too late. I could, I don't know, at two years in, I could probably play chords on any pop song. I mean, mm-hmm. so, well, so it's never too late to start. I need to... My guitar is somewhere in my closet too. Yeah, whip it out, man. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. I should. It sucks too because you have to I know, callus up your fingers. Yeah, I know. Oh. I, got, I got my calluses and then and then I stopped after a while and yeah. It took me forever to get calluses. Yeah. I don't know how long it took you, but I had like fluid under my ring finger yeah. forever. Time. I got them up here too. I was rubbing all kinds. You just of stuff. have to play yeah. golf. Then the calluses stay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they'll stay there forever. Yeah, that's my drumstick callus. Is mm. the the ones on my palms? Did your parents were your parents super stoked when you got a drum set at? That young, or I, they? to be honest <laughs> with you, every time my kids start beating on stuff, it drives me insane. I don't know how <laughs> my parents like I, when I was in the summer between sixth and seventh grade, so elementary school to, to junior high. My dad suddenly is just like, Oh, I guess he's taking this seriously because I just had a snare drum, mm. and so he went out and bought me like a $200 kit, and it was just entry level. And it was like it, it took like weeks before he realized this kit wasn't going to be good enough, mm. and so. I don't know how long he let me have that. So it was, it might have been a month or two months. And he's sitting in my room. He's just like listening to me. And he's like, Do you need a better drum set? And I'm like, No. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went to the, we went to this music store and there was this drum set. He paid a thousand bucks for it, which I had no idea what a thousand bucks was, you know, yeah. as a seventh Ooh. grader. And, you know, it's like he, that was a sacrifice for them. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, he, he told me later, he's like, um, he, like, I really paid for that drum set. He's like, because I got good enough. Like, there was a point in my life where I was like, I could move to L.A. and become like a session drummer. Mm-hmm. Or I could be in a band. Being in a band is like not the way if you want to make money. Don't be in a band, but <laughs> session drummers make money. You know, it's just like a, it's a job. Yeah. Um. I could. I probably was good enough to do that. Wow. Um. But then Sarah and I met. I was playing in a, the band that won the battle of the bands uh-huh. <laughs> um, with some other members of the church, and uh, those guys all went on missions, and Sarah and I had our win while they were on their missions. They come back from their missions, and we try to get things back up. I'm already at the U of O at this point. Wait, no, maybe I'm not. Anyway. And I'm just like, move the whole family to L.A. Mm. or be done. So we sort of gauged the band and all the guys in the band were like, and we had a couple of like really small independent record record labels wanting to send us, send them demos. And mm-hmm. and we sent demos and we recorded like three times, but it was just like, it never felt 
right. Yeah. Like it was like, you need to focus on your family. And I remember one time we recorded or we, we practiced in this guy's basement and he had a sliding glass window next to a carport and I would park my car there and I would leave it running and our, while Arwen napped with the window cracked and, <laughs> and I had to be on the other side of the glass so I could see her. So I was, while I'm playing, I'm just watching her, yeah. make sure she's still breathing. <laughs> Talk about irresponsible parenting. <laughs> Because Sarah was working. <laughs> you can't tell a story like that nowadays. <laughs> right? Anyway, so, and I'm just like looking out the window and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you have a kid. You can't be a rock star anymore. And so that was like, it wasn't long after that. I just, just up and applied to the U of O. And I didn't have a degree from the community college I was going to. I didn't have, I didn't have hardly enough credits to transfer. And I got accepted. And that was my answer. I'm like, I'm done. Okay. Yeah. And the funny thing was, we moved up here. Um, that's when I met, met Alan. I was at Jenna Village. Oh, yeah. Um, we moved up here, met all the members here. My brother was already here working at Jenna Village. And the guy right next door to me saw me bringing the drum set. And he's like, hey, you uh, you play Rockabilly? I'm like, I can. He's like, you want to jam sometime? And that was like the day we moved up here, I joined my next band. <laughs> and that was the band that opened for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. And it was just, I was like... How did this happen? It's like music follows me and I love it. And part of me wishes I could do it full time. There are times when I'm just like, after a day at school, I'm just like, yeah. I could be playing music tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but, and like every time I go to a concert, like we went and saw John Mayer and I was just like, I would love to be up on that stage playing right now. But it wasn't the path. Yeah, that's so. awesome. I love it. I think so, about you all the time because Andrew bought like a little a yeah. drum set at a garage oh, sale nice. for like 60 bucks uh -huh. when he was um, his band teacher. He does orchestra, so he plays stand-up bass. So he's yeah. going to love hearing that part about the bass being like the rock. Of oh, the, the bass is awesome. Yeah. yeah, so he's learning electric bass too, but um, – but he so he bought this thing because his band teacher wanted him playing percussion too. He's like, you got to do both. You got to do orchestra. Right, yeah. You got to do band. And he's like, okay. So he bought this drum set. Never played it. Oh really? <laughs> I remember so seeing I was like, it one time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's set up. And so every once in a while, like I'll sit down and just kind of plug on it a little bit. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I learned a couple of rhythms. But that's, that's how it, it. starts. Just so go. Like, every time I sit down, though, I'm like. Yeah, I should ask John. Yeah, I should ask John to teach me some things. See, I want to see some. I love the drums. My mom and yeah, dad were like, I always wanted no to. drums. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> I don't know how my parents put up with it. Honestly, that, I'm wondering because I want Reagan wants to have our kids uh -huh. be into an instrument, and I'm like, well, I mean, drums, and she's like, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, Dang it. I can't like, even handle I it. I want to live vicariously in my kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do it, man. Drums are awesome. I love them. So I love did you it. learn when you your dad noticed you were? Good enough? Was he musically inclined? No, no. no he, he my dad played the stereo. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> and and he was he was so fascinated by the whole thing, probably because it was so foreign to him. Yeah, mm -hmm. because and so like when when he bought me the the second drum set, he moved. He had this big cabinet stereo, it was like four cabinet speakers and the big old head mm -hmm. and the the EQ the and little, all that. Yeah. He moved it into my room behind the drum set, and he would sit there every once in a while. He'd just bring in all of his tapes, like. Boston and the Eagles and mm. um, Steve Miller Band. And that's how I learned to play along with music. Yeah. Okay. Was, I mean, honestly, thanks to my dad, he would just play this music. And I'd be, I learned more than a feeling. That was probably the first song mm. I could play start to finish, you know, um, almost the same way the drummer on the record does. And I was that's probably awesome. 11. Oh, that's, yeah. I think he, maybe he had dollar signs in his eyes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing was, like, come high school, he's just like, 
Well, he he was just like, if you spend as much time on your math as you did on the drums, yeah, you know, I got that lecture. (laughs) And then when I started dating, I had I had steady girlfriends in high school, which we can get to that one too. Mm -hmm. Steady girlfriends in high school. My dad was always like, "Don't you play the drums ever anymore?" And it's like, "Oh, I see how (laughs) it is." That's fun. And so, I, I do think that those of us that are not very musical are always kind of fascinated by people that are musical. So I could see him being like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just he was, he got a kick out of it just sitting there while I play. Oh, yeah. It had to be so loud. Oh, my gosh. Because behind <laughs> yeah. the drums, it's only a fraction of how loud it is in front. Right. It's 100%. still really loud. but Yeah. Because um, I was never on the other side. I was never on the other side of the drums. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how loud it was. But he'd just sit on my bed and just. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. I love drums. Um, we can segue off of that a little bit yeah. with the um, the the girlfriend. You said what you want to have a redo in in high oh, school, yeah. and I think I think Bishop Keister brought this up. He was like, I think I, it, I think it's been that specific question. What has been your redo? Like that was my oh, redo. Like yeah, before there was you, there was Justin Edmire. Yeah, there, there yeah, were a few other people that yeah. said the the high school girlfriend or boyfriend was a redo. Justin's wife, Hillary, said that. Yeah. Like there, there were a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it, this is a theme. It is. It's it's really interesting. Um, the I didn't get a girlfriend until I was a junior. That was my first girlfriend. And and I want to first of all say both of these girls, great people. Um, I was probably the problem in both of these cases. <laughs> I was a super clingy, jealous, needy boyfriend back then. Mm. Uh, I probably still am. Who knows? Maybe Sarah's just a saint. <laughs> you just married her. <laughs> <I> just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nodding along like, yep, yep. Well, that, that'll that actually, that that neediness and jealousy will actually tell the donut story too. Oh, nice. Uh, so we're just segueing after yeah, segue. Yeah, just put cool. it all in there. But uh, I, I think the having a girlfriend was such a distraction. Mm-hmm. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of money. It was, it was, it was way too much temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I've ever had to go to, I don't know if anything's off limits to you guys, but the only time I've ever had to go talk, really talk to my Bishop was because of one of these relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it wasn't like your disfellowship kind of stuff, but it was stuff that I felt like I'd crossed the line mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and it was just like, I, maybe I needed to go through that, but I don't think I did, you know, it's like, and so that was the first girlfriend. The second girlfriend, she was actually interested in the church and I was like, oh, awesome. So it's my chance to be a missionary. Um, but it was like, I was, I was supposed to be focusing on preparing for my mission while I was dating her great person. I mean, and, uh, so I leave on my mission and she's still going to church with actually the girl that my brother ends up marrying. So Delane is her name. She, uh, my sister-in-law, she starts taking Deanna, who was the girl I was dating to church and on the youth activities and, um, young single adult activities. And Deanna ultimately just sort of drifted away and never joined the church. And I always kind of felt responsible for that because I'm like, maybe I should have been focusing on being a missionary and less on being a needy, jealous, mm-hmm. stupid boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, it's like that's the one I kind of regret. I think the first girlfriend that was, you know, you always have to try everything once, right? It's kind of a thing. But yeah. I didn't I didn't need it. And I kind of wish I hadn't had it because I could have focused on, oh, my music. I could have mm-hmm. focused on real meaningful friendships that would last a long time, especially with my family. You know, yeah. the the first girlfriend really kind of drove a wedge between me and my twin brother. Um, oh, he did something awful. <laughs> this girl wrote me a love letter, and it was super sappy. And my oh. brother found it in my locker. 
and he made a hundred photocopies of it and, <laughs> and taped it all over the band room only. Thankfully, it wasn't the whole school, but well, that's every all, that, that's enough. Everybody read it. She was mad at me, and oh. I was mad at him because he couldn't stand her. And so it was like my relationship with my brother even sort of like split there for a while. Um, but yeah, so I, if I could do anything over, no, no steady relationships in high school. And, and it obviously comes up so much. And we love these redo stories because I, I think that we all deep down have something like that that mm -hmm. we go back to. And it's like, sure, I learned from it. But like you said, it, it didn't have to happen. Right. You know? Yeah, I could have learned that lesson yeah. a totally less painful. Right. Way. Yeah. <laughs> um, why do you think this keeps coming up? The steady boyfriend or girlfriend? Tina or Josh? You know, I think it, a lot of like the steady girlfriend boyfriend thing is just because that's part of our culture, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. um, especially now. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so much more prevalent. Was I was yeah. talking to my kids yesterday and, and, um, they we were kind of talking about this idea and, and Brooke is 15. And so she's in high school. So she's in, you know, in the middle of it all. And, um, she was saying, yeah, but it would be weird to just go on a date with that person and not be together with that person. That's, I, I know, that's right? the mentality. It yeah. is. That's yeah. how it it's is. Crazy. I remember it being even that way for us in high school. Like, yeah. I remember that too. Like, mm -hmm. no, you you date that person. Right. You don't go on dates. The like, only time weird. it was like okay to just date is if it was a member of the church. It's like because yeah. the expectation for was like one time. we're just going to like a movie, right? <laughs> My like dad's making me go out with you. Because you asked me. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. you're going to go somewhere with somebody else. Yes. Because that was the ex I think it's yes. the culture, yeah, between the two. Because mm -hmm. if you if you went on multiple dates with multiple people in high school, you were a cheater, yeah, and you were a yeah. horrible yeah. person. Yeah. And yeah. then she would get you know defamed for that, and that was awful. And mm -hmm. so, ugh, yeah, I don't understand. But I just think it's like it's too early, right? Like it's yeah. too early for our brains to get around that kind of relationship, yes. and, you know? Yeah. And what are you really doing when when I? dated somebody in high school it was oh well i sit next to you at lunch like, yeah yeah it's that like and then i think it's interesting too because after high school you go to college and then it's like what the church kind of like wants us to do. they're like just go and meet everybody yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden everything swaps over i'm like you know you're 19 you just graduated like what's the difference now <laughs> but yeah. it, it, i get it though I, I also get what it feels like to be 16 and feel like no it's wrong like i should i should commit to something yeah yeah, yeah. but i i think you're totally right tina I, I think we're still exploring ourselves and who we are when we're in our teenage years and we don't fully understand our own emotions or needs yet. And and what we don't know, or a lot of time we don't know about getting into a relationship at that point is you're committing not only to, you know, share yourself with that person, but they're sharing themselves and their own needs and their own emotions and who they are. And if you're not prepared to deal with your own stuff, there's no way you're going to deal mm -hmm. with it. <laughs> and that's where the either. high school drama comes in. <laughs> yep. That's why it's always so dramatic. So I, I kind of feel like it's it's almost like getting on the airplane. And, it, and if it's about to crash or something happens, you mm -hmm. know, like you put your own oxygen on first. Yeah, right. right. And, yep. and you have to be prepared to take care of yourself, own who you are and, and understand yourself before you can enter into that relationship. The only thing that was told to me during high school that made me question, well, you know, because obviously you know, I wanted to, date one person the whole time was uh this guy was like you know if you just think about dating when you're in high school you're just you're just giving gifts to somebody else's future wife right yeah. and i was like yeah, yeah. 
what? I was like, what? That's stupid. And he was like, yeah, you're going to date? I was like, no. Yeah, or she's paying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, especially tell uh, – Tell that to Andrew. I'll tell that to Connor because they, you know, they have jobs. Now. Oh, like you, you want you, you sure don't think you want Alan to waste said that? Oh, I'm sure he has. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. No, yeah. but I, I think it is hard though too because I, re I remember when I was in high school and I started dating this boy and I really, really liked him and we had this lesson in seminary and I just, it's one of those moments when you get inspiration that you're like, for real, dang it, <laughs> you know, now, like that, really, we're doing this now, um, and it was just that moment of. I shouldn't be dating him seriously. Not not because it was him, but because I shouldn't be doing this because right now. You. Like yeah. this yeah. isn't the right time for me um, to kind of go through a, a, that kind of relationship. And so I had to break up with him, but also he was not a member of the church. So try explaining that, you know, where, mm. where inspiration comes from to him. He was devastated and didn't understand. And I think that is also something that becomes really hard for these kids, right? In high yeah. school mm -hmm. is, is to figure out like, how do you move on from that relationship without causing so much pain or how do you explain it? And um, I think if they're both members, it makes it a little easier, but still it's like, that's hard, right? Because yeah. of the culture, the culture clash is yeah. the hard part there. And there's the, the and I, maybe this is, I know that youth listen to this podcast, but there's the roles of like what is a guy looking for in a relationship and what is the girl looking for in a relationship. Yeah. Mm. I didn't understand that until I was married for like five years. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and that was just the start that, like. of understanding that. You know, it's like, oh, okay, me going into the re this relationship, I wanted these things and she wants these things and their Venn diagram only intersects a little tiny bit. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> Oh yeah. And and nobody ever explained that to me because I felt like, oh, she feels the same way I do. So she wants the same, she has the same goals I do. Yeah. It's just not true. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not even close. Uh, that's good. So I yeah, nice segue, like you said, John, into how donuts save marriages. Oh yeah. Because I <laughs> every I, Saturday it saves my I'll marriage. just say it like <laughs> food saves lives. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> uh we were we were just on a trip to a family reunion, three day trip, and it was like a 10 hour drive, like Ooh. each way. And we had a moment coming back from this reunion, and the kids were just screaming, un inexplicable screaming, that I had no clue why it was happening. Like, what is going and on? I just slammed the brakes on the truck, and I just pulled into Chick-fil-A. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but you're going to eat something. Here's some nuggets. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. And the rest of the trip, fine. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Food brings people together. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about the donut saving your marriage. So Sarah had dated. Sarah was at BYU while I was on my mission. She had dated a bunch of guys, you know, casually. And and uh, I don't think she'd ever had anybody as needy or as clingy or as jealous as me. <laughs> and so we we meet in Roseburg. I, I went to UVSC at the time. She was going back to BYU the following fall. And so we're at the BYU library. And it's me and her and her friend. Jackie, I think it was, or maybe it was April. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I was being annoying because I felt like Sarah wasn't paying enough attention to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. It's so hard to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to make eye contact with anybody during this story. <laughs> um, and so I was being super annoying, being jealous and being, and so she tells me right there in the BYU library, she's like, I think we need to take a break. It was, it was friends, you know, what's going on. It was, it was, I think we need to take a break. And I'm like, she's dumping me. Oh, crap. And then it just sort of like, red alert, she's dumping you. And she's like, 
let's just get some space. And so she and her friend walk back to her apartment, but I have her car. <laughs> and I'm just Whoops. like, hmm. how did that happen? Yeah. And so I'm like, so I'm driving back to the Glenwood. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Provo. Yeah. So I lived in the Glenwood. Oh, hey. And so I'm driving back to the Glenwood. I have no parking pass for her car. And so I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I got to get her to drive me home. But I also need her to not break up with me. <laughs> and so I drove, and this was Saturday night. I drive to Smith's. And it's, it's Smith's is like a, I mean, what would you compare it to? It's, it's like Albertsons. Yeah, it's kind of like Albertsons. Okay. So I go to the, the the bakery at Smith's and they have the, the end of the day dozen. So like mm. the donuts that have been sitting all day for, I don't know, cheap. Best donuts ever. Right? <laughs> Probably three bucks for a dozen or something. So I grab some of those. And this is the first time I ever heard it. Smith's actually made an announcement about the Sabbath. Like they're like, they're it's 11 something something. You know, it's like, I was like. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, and so I take these donuts and I drive back to her apartment. I knock on the door and I've got the donuts. And I swear the only reason she, because you're not allowed in their apartment after right. 10 or something. Yeah. And so the only reason, I swear, the only reason she came out on the balcony to talk to me was because I had this box of donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and she might even confirm that. But I think that <laughs> box of donuts saved our relationship. And that was, I've had a couple of, epiphanies in my life like life-changing moments where it's like you've got to stop being this jealous needy idiot and that was it like after that i'm like i'm a changed man (laughs) stop showing your insecurity anyway so the rest is history it wasn't long after that we decided we wanted to get married and uh i'm glad she uh, said yes so Proposed with a donut ring. about the donuts. With a donut (laughs) ring, right? That's about all I could afford at the time, I'll tell you that. In fact, we we had to buy a cheap ring at JCPenney, like a $20 silver Mm -hmm. ring, because I spent all my money on just a diamond, just the stone, no Mm -hmm. setting. And so we finally got it it set after we moved back to Roseburg to prepare for the wedding. And so we used that as her wedding ring, the one with the diamond. But yeah, she still has that cheap little twenty dollars. Awesome. She picked it out. So hey. I mean, mine was cheap too. I bought mine off of Amazon. Nice. <laughs> we were telling kids the other day, go silicone. Just get silicone rings. Right. Like three oh, bucks. If you lose totally. it, it's not well, a big went, deal. Still yeah. means the same thing. It does. It does. I went titanium. This mm. cost me two hundred and fifty bucks twenty two years ago. You yeah. can buy these now for like fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, what? I pulled that she bought my ring and bought me a pack of like 12 of the silicone, of silicone rings. rings. Yeah. And I, I went through all 12 in, in 12 days because when I would pull my glove off, it would come oh. off. Oh, and no. it would just you lose it? So there, yeah, there are multiple houses and projects out there where there's like probably <laughs> like four of my rings. silicone <laughs> rings. Yeah. The seal of your undying love and affection she, yeah, just I was like, strewn on the ground. I planted it, honey. <laughs> no, she, she doesn't buy stuff for me anymore. Like that. <laughs> I, I don't blame She's her. She's like, I understand. She's like, do we need to tattoo it on your finger? She's like, right now, because it was like a couple years ago and I hadn't gotten baptized yet. She was like, we can, we could do that. I'm sure somebody would understand. I was like, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've thought about that. Well, so my dad never wore a wedding draw ring. every morning with a Sharpie. <laughs> right? <laughs> It'd be cheaper. I can draw it. a little pattern every day. <laughs> Hers is actually stuck on there right now. That's the only reason mm. we haven't gotten rid of it because her know. fingers swelled up mm, and that's it. It's over. <laughs> I had to cut a gold ring off my mother-in-law's finger one time. It had been there for years. Yeah. Uh, a really small pair of bolt cutters. Oh, oh nice. Uh, okay. Top and bottom, pulled it off. She, it was like damaging her finger. And right. she was upset oh, that geez. I cut this. It was just a simple, skinny gold band. <laughs> and so she, she was so upset that I cut the band. I'm like, 
You your finger was going to fall off. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe take Paul it Carter's to a jeweler. The they'll fix it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, good. We got a couple more minutes left. We're doing a two-parter today, so we we do have like maybe 10, 20 minutes limit? left. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah, I got to get out of here before the next person uh, comes. Tina? <laughs> Tina, what else did you want to get into today? <sighs> oh, I like the question. That, where's that question that says uh, your favorite calling? That was the last Ooh, page. Yeah, very yeah, last I always page. Like I want, that that's, that's what I was going to yeah. ask. I like that one. I'm going to hear about that. Favorite calling. Oh, he's yeah. Like, he's like, oh, oh wait, yeah, it is my favorite. <laughs> oh, oh this calling. <laughs> it's always the calling I have. <laughs> no, honestly, this has been my favorite calling. It's been an adventure. It's never gotten stagnant because I was called into the State King Women's Presidency in 2017 by Dan Walker. And I'd never met Dan before, but he knew Sarah. And he, it was total inspiration. Like, he had the, the moment where he's just, like, flipping through the mm. steak uh, um, list, you know. And he sees my name. He's like, John Sperry. Okay. So he calls me to the stake as the secretary. And over the course of the next little bit, so Reed Stockwell is called as the bishop. So he's out. So I'm put in as second counselor. So I've been secretary and second counselor in this stake in his presidency. Then um, the first presidency comes out and says, we're changing how we do young men's. We're now going to have a high counselor. And if they want counselors, they can have counselors. And so Dan calls me as his only counselor, first counselor for a little while. And then he calls a second counselor. We never have it. We didn't have a secretary. Then so COVID hits during that. And basically Dan and Kirsten Woodward and I are like basically managing all things youth. Um, so that was an adventure because it was all online. And so I had to make videos and a website and all this stuff. And then Dan Walker gets called into. Oh, so sorry. When the first presidency made their announcement, I was released from the state government's presidency. Right. Then I was recalled. Then Dan Walker gets called into the bishopric in second ward, and I'm released again. I'm like, oh, and I was really bummed out. And then they call me like a week later, and Todd Cole had been called to the state men's presidency, and they're like, we want to call you back into the state men's presidency as the secretary again. So I went secretary, second counselor, first counselor. So then I'm in there with Todd Stetson, Anyway, I'm the secretary. Shoot, <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be so embarrassed when I remember this. Anyway, Stetson gets called into bishopric. Right. And so I moved from secretary to second counselor. And then... Better hope that person doesn't list this podcast. Uh, <laughs> was it Sean? No, Sean was called after that. Anyway, so... So then something happens, and I made first counselor again. So I went secretary, second counselor, first counselor twice in the course of the last six years Goodness. in this calling. So I've done just about everything rounds. except be the president. Wow. That is not a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, if you want a job with the youth forever, just say yes to seminary teacher. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't do it. Forever, I couldn't do it. Forever. My wife teaches seminary. I don't know how she does it. I'm like, I could oh, not yeah. be a she's teacher awesome. and she's, a seminary teacher. She's so good. Oh, my goodness. She's amazing. That's the thing. Sarah will be like, she 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 sleeps in. She's she's mm -hmm. not a morning person until the Lord asks her to be. No. And she, she gets up before me. Yeah. And she's getting me up. And I'm like, when did this paradigm shift happen? <laughs> she had to have the right person. That's yeah. Okay. So, but I, she loves seminary, I think. I hope. She acts like she does. She's getting <laughs> up early. Uh, Josh, anything else you wanted to talk about? No, no, we got all the questions. I, I, uh, I'm going to do some rapid fire stuff then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So first of all, uh, 
you worked for about five or six years for a company called Duck Territory. Yeah. And maybe just to explain what that is to, you know, those who don't follow Oregon sports too closely. Yeah. So Duck Territory is the CBS sports affiliate for recruiting for college football mostly, but it's basically college sports altogether. When we first started, it was just football and basketball. Um, and I was asked to be the photographer. This is an awesome story. Do we have time for a story? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> at Agnes Stewart, I worked with um, a woman named Jamie. And Jamie knew that I like to take pictures, you know, as a photographer. And she says, she comes to me one day and she's like, hey, my husband Matt wants to know if you'd want to shoot pictures for him. I'm like, I'm doing what? And she's like, like Oregon sports, like Oregon football. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so she's like, well, he needs, he just needs for now, he just needs somebody for media day. And this was Chip Kelly's, let's see, second to last so this is probably his second to last season. Oh, and uh, yeah. it was um, – so like Darren Thomas and uh, Michael James, oh, Anthony Thomas. Such a great roster. So yeah, so so Matt's like – so I, I text Matt and I'm like, hey, you, I heard you need – Jamie said you needed a photographer for media day. I had no idea what media day meant. And so he's like, yeah. He's like, okay, just um, meet me in front of Otson on this day at this time. I'm like, okay. So we, we – we meet in front of Watson. I take my little brother with me because he had recently gotten off his mission. I hand him a camera. I said, just point it at things and shoot. I need to look like I have an assistant. So we go up the escalator into the, the club level where they have all the, the screens set up and the tables. And it's like all these photographers. I'm like, I am. I have a real problem with um, imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I put myself in these situations where I'm a total imposter. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, I've got this little, it's a Canon Rebel. It's not even a professional level camera. And Matt Matt has no idea. He doesn't care. I have a camera. He just wants me to shoot pictures. So I shoot pictures. Like these guys come up. So Chip comes up to the table and I shoot pictures of Chip. Um you know, all the players come up and I shoot pictures of them. And then we go and he's like, hey, can, they're, we're all starting to eat lunch. And the players are sitting down eating lunch. And this is when the media is allowed to talk to individual players. He's like, is there any chance you can get some close-ups and maybe even ask a few questions to some players? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I tell my brother, I'm like, go ask these guys these questions. I'll take pictures of you. So my brother Chris asks, he's like acting like a reporter and he writes down a few things and I take all these pictures. And so we finally sit down to eat lunch and I'm in a chair facing Matt. Matt's facing me and my brother Chris is right here. So Matt's like, how long have you been a photographer? And it's like super small talk. And uh, Matt's like, well, we've been looking for a photographer since we got dumped by ESPN. Um, we can't pay anybody. And I'm like, oh man, it'd be kind of cool to shoot sports. And we're just like, both dancing around this question <laughs> and my little brother chris he, he finally stops this is like let me just stop you guys right there john it sounds like you're saying hey if you need a photographer i'm willing to shoot sports for free and he looks at matt and he's like and matt it sounds this this brother is not a lawyer like, <laughs> matt it sounds like you are trying to see if john is willing to shoot pictures for duck sports but for free is that right we both go yeah. <laughs> and so, like, the marriage was made. I became Duck Territory's photographer. And in the second year, they actually started paying me. Um, but I got to do so much awesome stuff. 
Oh, but Duck Territory, I don't know if you remember the Willie Lyles thing with Chip Kelly, the recruiting yeah. incident. Yeah. So Duck Territory broke that story. So Matt actually broke that story. ESPN and the Oregonian quoted Matt. And so we were suspended from football that year. So the first thing I shot was not that football season, but that basketball season, because the basketball season needed attention, and Duck yeah. Territory was the only thing giving it to him. Yeah. So I, I have to piggyback on that a bit because you'd spend a lot of time around the team. Yeah. What is one of your favorite Oregon sports moments? <sighs> football or otherwise? Well, that sounds like a tough I, I give you a little I can give you a little time to think about it because for me, you know, I I really started to get hardcore around the mid 2010s. Mm -hmm. And when we came into Florida State and just demolished them in the first round of the playoff. In the Rose Bowl? I was there. And, I and, shot that game. And they interviewed Urban Meyer of Ohio State, and they're like, did you see the score of the Oregon game? And he's like, oh, we got to get to practice. <laughs> oh, did he? That was one of my favorite Dude. Oregon sports. And that team, you know, the, the the year that Marcus Mariota won the Heisman, that, yeah. was, that was a great year anyway. Yeah, so I shot all the Mariota years. I shot the press conferences with Urban Meyer, um, at the national championship game. And before the game, he said all the right things, super diplomatic. After the game, just watching him talk when the cameras aren't rolling, I'm like, this guy is, I'm probably, I'm going to slander Urban Meyer. <laughs> I'm like, this guy is the biggest jerk. I mean, that's yeah. putting it nice. I was like, this guy had no respect for Oregon yeah. whatsoever. And I really lost respect for him in that moment, but that wasn't my favorite moment. The, uh, my favorite moment in duck sports, I don't know if it happened. The thing is, when you're shooting on the field, and this is going to sound, oh, first world problems, John. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're shooting through a hole that's this big, yeah. you know, it's like you can only keep like yeah. a couple players in your sights. It's not the best way to watch a football game, but I was there for all of it, all that Mariota stuff. Like I went to USC that year. I went to Stanford those years. I went to, you know, played up in Seattle. Or when we played in Seattle, I went to those games. And it was just mind-blowing and it's crazy how quickly you get used to something that amazing mm -hmm. to the point where i was just like i'm done with this you know it's like you would think how could you ever get sick of that okay yeah. you know it's like you get all the catering the free hotels the everything you know and and i shot the the events that i shot so i shot the ncaa softball championship um, I shot NCAA basketball men's. I shot the national championship, the Rose Bowl, Pac-12 championship games. Um, I've been in so many awesome stadiums, and I, I got sick of it. It, it. it got to this point where I felt like sports was predictable. Mm. You know, it's like I would go into these football games, everybody's hyped for, and you can watch it. And when you don't have the commentators in your ear, mm. you 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 get a sense for the flow of the game, the way the team feels it on the field, and you're like, oh, we're gonna lose this thing. Yep. You know, we're total we're not gonna win. And and so you deal with it because I you have a job to do. It's like I could never when we won, when we lost, I had to get the shot and then get in the tunnel and upload all my pictures as fast. I had to process everything as fast as I possibly could. Still amazing. Yeah. Still just absolute oh my gosh, so amazing an experience. Um I can't think of one particular moment. I remember when Mariota was crying after losing to Stanford one year, and then we beat the pants off him, I think, the next year. <laughs> um, but we, it was down at Stanford, and the the Oregon media 
tent was literally just a tent off the field. And I was like, I felt like that was disrespectful. They didn't give him a locker room or a hallway or anything. Um, but uh, w- watching Marcus and you just see, and he was hurt. He hurt his leg in that game. And uh, you just see how human he was and just, you are know, like, this guy, this is a dude, man. This guy's awesome. I think every interaction I had with Marcus was like the most just down to earth thing ever. Every one of those little, you know, circles around him. I will always have respect for him. He didn't pan out in the pros, but I will always have respect for him as a person because he was so amazing. Yeah. He seemed, he, he seems genuine. He's a real bum. Yeah. You know? He totally is. Have you watched the new quarterback documentary on Netflix with him? No. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. I think it's worth checking out. But I'll have to look at it. Let's do more rapid fire. So, Diet Pepsi is definitely a beverage you enjoy. Yes. I'm, I'm drinking some questionable liquid here too. <laughs> um, in case Tina in case you needed to get something for Tina March and she likes diet root beer. That is True good story. stuff. True that's story. the best diet that's not Dr. Pepper or Pepsi. That's I, what I'm saying. I tend to agree with that. And Diet Pepsi over Diet Coke, by the way. Absolutely. Just, Sorry, know. President Fuller. Oh. I don't even think that's <laughs> an opinion. So bitter. Yeah. Oh, Pepsi Coke. is, you know. See, I think the same thing about Coke. The funny thing is, well, I drink Coke. I'm like, am I at a restaurant? That's like the only time I drink Coke <laughs> is I'm at a restaurant. Because everybody has Coke, right? Yes. That's see, funny. I only, yeah, Coke with Mexican food. That's the only time. For, for okay, me. I'll give you yeah. that one. Yeah. It's, that's funny it's, because. It's good for the digestive system. <laughs> like Alan, when we went to Peru, he's like, you're having a Coke every day. Because I don't drink caffeine, like, yeah. hardly yeah. ever. As so I was like, I don't really want to. He goes, no, no. You need, you need it every day. I'm <laughs> like, okay. Right. I remember our mission president, because I served in Mexico. We, there was a time for like a week. He said, try to mostly drink Coke because the water is bad right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Done. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All Especially right, if I have to. The good stuff with the, in the glass bottles. Yeah. Yep. I know it when tastes we're, better. Oh, it yeah. does. I know, oh, it, I know yes. when we're doing good financially, because Reagan comes back from Costco with one of the big the big flats. The glass, of the, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. like, you're like yes, it's been a good month. Yeah. I, I have my – so the, everybody has their It Tastes Best in containers, mm-hmm. and, like, everybody talks about the McDonald's mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think soda in a bottle is hands down the best. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. Like, glass um, bottle. Yep. Gotta be glass. That is glass, number yeah. one. Um, my other favorite – so all through high school, our seminary building was right on the edge of Roseburg High School, and there was a gas station right behind it. So every day in seminary, I had lunch – either before or after seminary. So I would just get a 99 cent bag of pretzels and a 44 ounce Mountain Dew. That was like my lunch for three years. That sounds awesome. And and my like one of my favorite drinks to this day, I don't drink Mountain Dew, but if I go to a place that has the paper Pepsi cups, Mm -hmm. I always get like a shot of sugared Mountain Dew. I splash that. (laughs) And then I get my Diet Pepsi. I think that is the second best tasting soda in the world, Mountain Dew Dew. in a in a gas station (laughs) with a lot of ice. Yeah, the oh. circle, the circle K, where you could get the big, huge, giant forty-four. <laughs> yeah, oh, heck oh, yeah, man! Totally so good. It's different road trip. You know, there's no way to explain it, but it does. That just uh, smells like ten bathrooms for me. Like, right? Forty-four <laughs> ounces is like every thirty minutes. We gotta stop it. Oh, I don't think I could do it now. It's like twenty ounces. That's about perfect yeah. for me. Like that's I do good. Pepsi because I used to steal my dad's Pepsi, mm. and so he would always drink Pepsi when I was a kid. And then when he was diagnosed with diabetes, he switched to Diet Pepsi, and yeah. so I've been <laughs> drinking Diet Pepsi ever since. I can't drink sugared soda anymore. Mm. It's nope. like, mm. well, here's something crazy in in Louisiana: Pepsi of the devil. It's all coke. oh yeah, yeah all all yeah. coke. But I remember when we first moved down there, I had a headache. 
I didn't have a phone because my parents didn't believe give me a phone. So I asked for some like Advil or something and they sent me to the nurse's office and she walks over. She goes, well, we're kind of low on some Advil. So here, and she just pulls out a can of Coke and she's like, here, <laughs> yeah. just drink that. And yeah. I was like, my parents don't let me drink this stuff. <laughs> I drank it and it, that was it. It was over. I was like, got to have it. <laughs> right? She got you addicted <laughs> yeah, forever. Yeah. Oh, That's man. great. That's great. That's... My headache's gone. It cured my ADD. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, it did. It did. It, did. it totally You did. no longer walk with a limb? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Okay. your favorite color is, well, if it's a lightsaber, then your favorite color is green. Otherwise, it's blue. Yes. Not for BYU. I know, it's weird. Crossing my fingers, (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So blue was a sign to me. So when my twin brother and I were born, my grandma made us these blankets. Um, They were Superman blankets, and mine was... Mm. The same, the same pattern, but the underside was blue and red for me and my brother. So I was, it was always red Ronnie and blue Johnny. And so <laughs> I was like blue everything growing up. And my brother was red everything, even though I look better in red than I do in blue. <laughs> uh, but I still like favor blue. But as an adult, well, so my mom started going to the U of O when I was nine, 10. So that's when green started really becoming, but. Green, the green lightsaber is the best lightsaber, and I know that's like no, not a hot take, but <laughs> <laughs> episode like episode Return of the Jedi lightsaber yes. green. Yes. Well, yes. yeah, I think my dad still that's my dad's favorite lightsaber because he saw that in theater and he, he said when that turned on it was it was that color of green. He was like everybody like freaked out a little bit. That was the first Star Wars yeah. movie I saw in theaters was Return of the really? Jedi because I was like five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Yes. Oh my gosh, when he lit that thing up and he's in the all black. Uh-huh. Yeah, super cool. Oh, so bad. Yeah. And the thing is, the length of it seemed longer than the blue ones. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay. It was a little bit longer too. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- the prop was longer. Yeah. Sorry. Like okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Come back. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, yeah. I, if we talk about Star Wars, I love Star Wars. But if we're comparing we still the two, have to yeah. make I think the Ewoks the second, made the movie. Like, the that was my yeah. favorite from the Ewoks. I know you're going to like frown. I love about the Ewoks. That. The Ewoks is like my favorite. So part you, of you've the seen whole. both movies? Oh, I've seen mm-hmm. them all. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So those two, the, the, remember that really poor series with the Ewoks and like, yeah, and the, the, and the, the two um, kids that get escape lost. From, and, escape, wait, no. Yeah. They're so bad, but like, Sindel and Mace. Yes. You can't like not watch them though. And then the second one, you had Wilford Brimley and you have a little speed demon called Pete. Yeah, that guy was awesome. Yeah. And he I, showed up before. Unfortunately, the brother, I think, got killed yeah. before the second one. Yeah, so these That's two little stranded short, orphans yeah. on... So indoor. something something crazy about the Ewoks. You think you like, oh, that's they're just cute little bears. Those things were cannibals. They ate the stormtroopers and stuff. Oh yeah, the they one hundred percent. Well, that's why they were which all is tied why they were all. That's that. why yeah. they were tied up yeah. on the spikes. Yeah. So, yeah, Ewoks not cute, terrifying. <laughs> like if I was Princess Leia when I first saw that thing, I would have shot it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> she didn't know. She was, yeah. she was nice. It's gonna be a totally different watch next time. We got to finish our <laughs> binge on that series, by the way, Josh. Yeah, just tell me when. Yep. And next time you fall asleep in a movie, I'll just tattoo the wedding ring on. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could tell somebody you know that I know to stop working me so hard, you know, I'll stay awake for the movies. I don't know who that guy is. I don't, I, we don't know that guy. Um, but in all fairness, as soon as he sits down, he falls asleep too. So it's not just it's not just working you, Josh. He's working too. We got to hit a couple of of our tropes from last season. So, are you a Swifty? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting for this one. <laughs> Here's the universe. No, I'm not a Swifty. I, in fact, back in the day, I have I have notorious for picking the wrong pick. I picked Miley Cyrus over Taylor Swift oh, way no. back. I know. Don't just just don't don't start. <laughs> and what? then um, 
I am not a Swifty for one major reason, and this is going to sound so dumb, because I am a huge John Mayer fan. Uh. So being a huge John Mayer fan, I found it um, to be a conflict of interest, not because they dated and broke up, but because she wrote Dear John. Yeah. And she wrote it about him, and I can't forgive her for it. But he wrote Paper Dolls about her, and so I'm like, I guess that's whatever. It is what it is. But she might have won me back before she just released what was the album she just did there she re-released the taylor's version of yeah. the one with dear john on it the rumor is that john mayer played the background guitar on that track to sort of like appease the fan bases i'm like all right but here's the weird thing my instagram reels suggested reels thing is nothing but Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I don't know why. It spites you. <laughs> I'm like, I, I was like, I've tried it. Like, I'll click on the videos and go, not interested, not interested. But all I get is Era's tour stuff all day long. And I'm like, what is the universe doing to me? And I'm like, I can only, it's only because I probably follow people who love Taylor Swift or I follow all these John Mayer things. I don't know. And they're associated? I, I, I guess. <laughs> But anyway, so no. Oh. Or your Not kids are secretly like holding your phone like at night to just say right? Taylor, Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. But I know everything about the Eras tour now because of my Instagram Reels feed. <laughs> For real, though, I know every is. outfit. I know how long the show is. I know that it starts in the daytime, ends in the nighttime. It's three, <laughs> three, three and a half hours long. I know that she changes her outfits to start from this, and the Eras go through the different outfits, and they have different meanings. That might have been the best answer to the Taylor Swift question we've ever got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that was great. All right, well, we'll we'll wrap up here. Can we bring you back sometime? Yeah. Okay. Sweet. For we got it for the nerdy podcast. We still haven't done that yet. Um, I, I'm going to delegate that to you, Josh. If you can, done. If you I'll, can do I'll it, you can that. have all my equipment, whatever. But and I will be on it because sweet. Yeah. Right. You can't take it back. <laughs> All right. No, no take back. Don't edit that out. So we're going to end with the same question we always do. How has being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ helped you to better connect with the Savior? Well, so I, I hear this question at the end of every podcast, and I'm like, and I'm just like, how would I answer that? Because I've only ever known the church. My relationship with the Savior is because of how I was raised in the church. And so I don't have a perspective of, what was my relationship before the gospel and after the gospel so much? But I can tell you right now, knowing who I am, without the gospel, without the church, without the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints specifically, I probably wouldn't have a relationship at all with the Savior. Um, and it's not only that the church is the, you know, it's like our entire focus is the Savior. It's that like that's all I want to emulate. Like everything when I when I when I encounter a doctrine or a change in how the church does stuff, I always go back to: Does it fit with the gospel? Does it fit with what Christ taught and Christ gave? You know, love your neighbor, love God. And I'm like, does it fit in that? Is it changing that at all? Is it changing Christ's whole mission and whole purpose? And if the answer is no, then I'm okay with it. Because I feel like my relationship in the gospel is just with the Savior, and the church is sort of the vehicle. And here's a controversial thing. Maybe this is the, maybe this is a hot take. Um, I tell my friends, um, we had this discussion once camping. I have a bunch of non-member friends. I told them, I said, if the church ever failed, if somebody ever said, 
Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet. We have definitive proof. And the church came out and said, hey, this is all a scam. I know that my relationship with the Savior is such that the church is just a vehicle. If the vehicle stops working, I would get out and keep walking. Yeah. You know, so like that. that's what the church has provided me. So even if the church were to fail, I still believe that priesthood authority is a thing. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that's what's important for me to keep going. So Awesome. That's a good end point. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connection Podcast. We are so excited about what is coming in Season 2. We have new series. We have tons of guests lined up, lots of great hosts. I think it's going to be a great time. Thank you to all of you who are sharing the podcast online or by other means. Definitely got a few of you on my list. I need to send you some swag. I promise I'll do that. Till next time, and it won't be too long. Take care. Take care.